It's the first Monday of the month. That means it's time for Midnight Theology, a podcast where we talk all things Christianity, leadership, culture, and life as they relate to the Wesleyan Methodist movement. I'm your host, Larry Frank, and as always, I'm joined by Gabe Wank. Hey there. Sarah Wank. Hey, y'all. And Adam Penn. Howdy. This month, you've got questions. We've got answers. Kinda. So grab a blanket sure. and a drink. Midnight Theology is a go. So after a few heavy episodes, uh, uh, two-part talking about uh, what's going on in the United Methodist Church, uh, last month uh, hearing uh, Sarah's story of her trip to Cuba, we wanted to slow it down a little bit and uh, just do kind of how Midnight Theology got started, us just sitting around talking about uh, uh, questions that we had and um, in the late watches of the night uh, talking about some of these. So we've asked you to submit some uh, some of your questions. We've had a few submitted. We've got room for more, and there's a uh, a Google Form link there that you can submit your question. You don't even have to give us your name if you don't want to. Uh, if there's something you want to ask us or a topic you'd like to hear about, we want to know. So we're going to be doing this at least for a couple of episodes. Um, so while this is laid back and just us doing our banter, we're going to start with a pretty big question. Uh, and the question that was submitted was, how do we change the Americanized version of Christianity. Let's all just go boom. Like, (laughs) wow. um, uh, Several episodes, um, a year's worth of episodes. I I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, So here's where I think we're going to go with that. Um, First, let's talk about what we think is behind the question. Uh, Whoever submitted this didn't give us their name. That's fine. Um, So we get to just kind of banter in our assumptions for a minute. What do you think they mean by Americanized version of Christianity. What do you hear in that question? So many things. <laughs> I hear, I hear, I can hear the question from different perspectives. I can hear the question coming from someone asking it uh, in a kind, gentle way, saying, uh, "How do we change Americanized version of Christianity? How do we, how do we make it?" Um, better? How do we encourage it? How do we continue to grow it? Uh, change doesn't necessarily denote a negative or, 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 a, or, or, or a, or, or in need of help. Uh, it could be, yeah, you know, you, you can set, you see where I'm struggling. I think that the, yeah. the go-to default is the question is trying to address, uh, that there's something wrong with Americanized version of Christianity, or they're they're pointing out that Christianity has been Americanized. Uh, it's been, you know, whatever that means, and we have to explore that. But what does the word change mean? What is the intention of the word? How do we change? Uh, and then we step back another word, and I'm going to parse it out. We, how do we, we who? Uh, the Holy Spirit, we, we as pastors, we as Midnight Theology, we as American Christians, uh, if we are identifying uh, as citizens of this country, uh, there's so many things just in the question before we get to any answers that pop into my mind. If it wasn't already a big question, thanks for that. No, I, <laughs> I mean, that, that's why I that's asked crap. that. That's why I asked that, though. I mean, like, there's there's a bunch of different directions that 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 we could go with this that are positive and 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 negative. So did the last episode seen about uh, how Cuba and other places around the world have gotten it right recently, right? Uh, in so many ways, 
in mobilizing lay people, in flipping institution, right, into um, a more nimble lay movement, uh, Holy Spirit-filled. So I kind of hear it in light of that, too, saying uh, on that episode, we were saying here in America, we have gotten it backwards. We have created, a, you know, institution and entertainment, and we need what places like Cuba have. Uh, so uh, so I kind of hear it in light of that too. Uh, but I also like screaming in the back of my head and, and they may not have intended it, <clears throat> uh, is the struggle we're having with Christian nationalism now in politics. Um, and I might be bringing that to the table in a way that they're not, uh, but I can't, I can't get that out of my brain either. So, yeah, I think, I think in addition to Christian nationalism that we see either the Republican party at prayer, or the democratic party at prayer, um, the other thing I might bring into the conversation would be our tendency to treat the church as we would any other provider of goods and services in the American yeah. economy and yeah. take a consumeristic approach to religion uh, that the church is a provider of spiritual goods and services. My pass, I go to my pastor the same way I would go to the doctor or the dentist. You know, I take my kids to uh, the programs at the church, just like I would take them to basketball or 4-H or Boy Scouts or what have you. Um, and uh, I place the church in my mind and my priorities in that same vein as I do everything else is no different. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And and that represents the Americanized consumeristic uh, approach that you're describing. Uh, That's kind of what I, comes to my mind initially yeah, when yeah, I hear that yeah. question. Yeah. Larry, what were you thinking? Yeah. So the, the, the nationalism piece comes in there, but uh, really more where Adam was at um, this, this consumeristic, we've really lowered the bar on, on discipleship uh, in, in America. And I think that's where we're feeling this death rattle um, of the American mm. church uh, is we've, we've made it really, really easy. Uh, you come to church for an hour a week um, and, you know, pay your dues kind of. Uh, and, and that's it. Um, but the, the series I'm preaching uh, at my church right now is called one six seven. Uh, Cause there's 168 hours in a week. What's your discipleship look like the other 167 hours? Mm. Uh, so we're, we're, like we're, we're preaching through the book of James on that, which um, I understand now why Martin Luther really struggled with James and wanted to take James out of the new Testament. Uh, Cause <laughs> it's not, it's not just the faith and works piece that Luther was on. It's just that James is kind of in your face. Like, uh, you can't just be a hearer of the word. You have to also be a doer of the word and your mm -hmm. tongue is set on fire by hell itself. Like these are all things that matter in the other 167 hours of the week. Um, but we've made it like, Hey, you know, uh, if you show up on Sunday morning, um, you've got this thing. Uh, and that's just, that's not producing, um, disciples. And we've talked about the, um, the fault lines that were exposed, further exposed uh, during the pandemic and uh, post uh, 2020 election and things like that, that um, a lot of our, a lot of our churches were a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that, that's the problem we're, uh, we're running up against. And it's just, um, so th there, are, there are good things that have nurtured all of us in American Christianity, but they are no longer sustainable. Um, uh, in light of 
what the biblical church looks like, uh, and as far as Wesleyanism goes, historically, what our movement looked like. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation. Yeah, definitely. You know, talking about the historicity or historicity. Have we determined what that that word should historicity. be? Historicity. Okay. So uh, determining Officially. the history, the I don't historicity like of, those words. I don't like it. of of the Americanized <laughs> version of Christianity coming from the Wesleyan perspective. Which okay, so our faith tradition as Christendom comes from the European uh, area. Uh, Primarily, uh, but it came from somewhere else to there, obviously, epicenter uh, Jerusalem. Uh, so just, you know, tracing that back and how did it look for Wesley? How was it in England uh, in uh, 18th century, uh, 17th century time uh, where the Anglican church and this Methodist movement began? Um, you know, it was being changed. Anglicanism was being uh, reformed, uh, remade, rebirthed uh, through this movement of Methodism of of personal holiness, social holiness. Uh, this uh, focus in on um, connecting the gospel and the transformation of individual self uh, to the society. As Wesley was coming against slavery, as they were working uh, with with people in poverty, just rampant uh, with addictions, rampant and trying to help a society come out of uh, a darkness. Um, that's that's part of where it all started, um, and a lack of 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 uh, the society knowing where there's a connection to God's grace and mercy, even in times of death. Uh, I can't quote anything particularly. I'm sure uh, one of our new doctors could, uh, and, and Adam, a doctor emergent, uh, could. Where was it? Wesley that was starting to do funerals outside uh, of of the uh, traditional Anglican uh, experience for folks that couldn't afford them or couldn't be a part of them. Uh, am I reaching on that one? That piece of historical fact evidence. I mean, it sounds like so. It sounds like something. <laughs> John would have done. I I don't I don't have a source to back that up, but it certainly sounds like something he'd have done. Let's just say yes. <laughs> For the sake yeah. of argument, you're you're naming right that though though American Christianity is sort of currently facing this problem of consumerism and individuality and um, you know nationalism and legalism and um, sort of a, a really a lack of personalized spirit filled you know submission to lordship and new testament church it's not the first time we are not the only people that have experienced this problem right it is it is the church of england uh in john wesley's day and wesley trying to reform it it is also <laughs> uh what jesus was trying to reform right uh in the in jewish culture where um, religion had become institutionalized and legalistic and consumer and um, not personal, unpersonal, right? Um, so so we're just falling into a rhythm and a pattern that um, church has fallen into before, right? It's This is not new, although because we're living in it, it feels very dramatic. Um, uh, but it is the problem of the church, right? Of mm-hmm. uh, It is the problem of the church and, and a constant mm-hmm. effort. To try to say no, this is this is a personal relationship with Jesus and a movement, right? It is not uh, as a structure of consumerism and legality. That's a really good point, Sarah. Because like you think about Jesus cleansing the temple, and one of the main reasons Martin Luther 
start of the Protestant Reformation was the selling of indulgences. So, you know, and both of those things are tied to that consumerism and institutional religion um, Hmm. that both Jesus and Martin Luther had big problems with. And then, of course, John Wesley, you know, that that was part of it was really more institutionalism in the Church of England, I would say at the time. Yes, it is. uh, It is the problem of of humanity, right? Our our tendency is is to take this gift of faith and religion and package it in our way, uh, you know, in a very um controlled <laughs> uh experience and um you know something of of the movement that Jesus offered uh just isn't that it's not something that we can control and program and individualize um and and graph success rates you know um and and I think we're just living living in the loop of of our sinful tendency which is to take the gift of of what God has given us uh, in faith and relationship with him, um, and make it, make it ours instead of his. Well, I'll provide a really stark example of this from my own experience. Um, one of the things that, that we do every year in the United Methodist church is cultivate our membership records, which involves reaching out to those who we haven't seen in a while, uh, just to check in with them. Um, and, uh, see how they're doing attempt to reopen the back door and reestablish that relationship. Um, because as members of the United Methodist church, we make vows of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Um, and we expect our members to live into those vows. So if we're not seeing someone, you know, the first thing is a pastoral question of, is there an issue? Uh, and then the second thing is, um, if there's not an issue, can, can we see you back, you know, and, and we'd love to have you back. And, you know, in, in one of those attempts to reach back out, uh, the person said, no, I'm not interested in coming back, but I do want to maintain my membership. So do I need to like send a check or something like that to stay on your books? Wow. And, <laughs> and we we're like, no, that's, no. that's not how this works. You know, yeah, you, so- you can't, you can't be a card carrying member of a church just by sending a check. That's not, that's not how this works. <laughs> but, but what an American thing to do, right? Right. Like yeah. I'm a, it, I'm a it, member. It, Here's my membership due. Well, it, yeah, right. I mean, like. So just like all these other membership-based institutions that existed for so long in our country, that is passing away. Like uh, my dad and my grandpa were members of the Moose Lodge, Loyal Order of the Moose, 1634 in Litchfield. I am Mm -hmm. not a member of the Moose. I have zero desire. They do some great charitable things. But uh, when you were a business person and moved to a new community in the 60s and 70s, the first thing you did was find a church. It was good for your business. Absolutely, that's that's no longer um, that's no longer the case. So, does membership mean what it used to mean? I had someone in a previous church when they would uh, send their offering check in on the memo line. They wrote dues, not offerings. Wow! <laughs> oh, <Dues>. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, so I, yeah, and, yeah. And I don't I'm wanna, with I, you. That th- go ahead. I don't want to bash too much. Um, you know, there, there's certainly plenty of things to critique, but as Sarah alluded to, this is nothing new. Uh, I remember Scott Kisker saying during the the pandemic in a very helpful way to me, this is not even close to the worst thing the church has been through. Uh, like that was in the midst yep. of all the shutdowns and the fallout from the election. Like this is nothing 
uh, this is nothing. The church is of God. It's the body of Christ. I keep telling um, folks in in my church as they um, as they wait now uh, on a a change. Unfortunately, that's happened. I wait to find out who the next lead pastor will be of this church. Like uh, Jesus loves the church more than you do, mm-hmm. um, and we believe that the church will be preserved until the end of time. Does that mean it it needs reformed? Absolutely. I don't want to bash too much because like we're all products of the American church. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I came, I came to faith at a very conservative uh, Americanized church camp where we raised the flag every morning and said the (laughs) pledge of allegiance at the start of the, uh, the camp day. And I very much, uh, remember post nine 11 being at camp, the whole camp singing, I'm proud to be an American together. I mean, the things that we push back against now, but were it not for the, the, the moments at that camp, I don't know. I'm sure Jesus would have found me, but I don't see another point that I would have been nearly as open to it without that particular community mm-hmm. in that in that place. And there are things I disagree with uh, about their theology, but goodness, they brought me to Jesus. Yeah, um, and I will forever be grateful uh, for that. Uh, flaws and all, and that's the same way with the American Church. Is it full of flaws? Absolutely. Uh, but it's the same thing Wesley saw in his day and did not want to leave the Church of England. Wanted to um, wanted to preserve it, even though other bishops were calling it a fair carcass without a spirit. Um, you know, it looks good on the outside, but it's dead. Um, he he still wanted to to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, Larry, as I as I listen to that, and I and I look at you on our little Zoom connection here uh, with your background of stars through the uh, starship that you are on. Uh, do you want to name that starship for us? I'm on the Millennium Falcon right now. There you go. All right, it's a be- beautiful view, and it just makes me think about. All right, so how do we how do we take our view, our perspective, and expand it out larger? We have Americanized, we have European, we have Russian, we have Asian, we have Indian, we have uh, Middle Eastern. This idea of Christianity of the expression it comes back to uh, its roots. Its roots is in Abraham. Abram, its roots is in God's covenant with mankind. It's in it, the roots are nationalistic, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel that God called to be uh, a beacon and a light for all nations, for all people, right? And then it through Christ, it has expanded from one nation to all nations, from one people to all peoples. This is our theology, this is our understanding of how God works and has worked. And so the question again, Americanized Christianity, okay, so it's, it's is it to be celebrated where we are from, with where we hold citizenship? Sure, it's where you are. You, you know, pay, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's, as Christ said. So how do we how do we do the both and? Right, you know, you, you that's part of your doctoral work. This both and uh, the past, the present, and the future. How do we mix it all together uh, in a healthy way? And as a tree, we're young, well, two hundred forty-six years old. Uh, there's there, there's still a lot for us to learn, and you know, as you've mentioned, we're 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 evolving, we're changing. Um, but yeah, what are the what are some of the good things? What are some of the bad things? As you said, this is where we're from. We're all born in the U.S., whether it's New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Illinois, uh, Arkansas, wherever. Uh, this is where we are from. You know, breadbasket land uh, right now. 
How do we, you know, work toward more of the good that we have done over the last 250 years, um, where we have, you know, sent missionaries uh, and and built relationships north, south, east, and west, and we see fruit from that now. Seeds were planted. Uh, just like the apostles being sent out, seeds were planted and there was fruitfulness. There was a harvest that came in. Um, but then we also know that vines need pruning. Trees need pruning. And um, pruning for more growth and sometimes pruning because things die and you got to take out the rot. Yeah, I think to um, your point, Gabe, Christianity has always found unique cultural expressions wherever it finds itself. Um, but then those unique expressions are shaped by the elements of that culture that the Christian faith calls into question, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I feel like that's part of what shapes the expression of Christianity are the elements of that culture. So, you know, just think about what Sarah shared about her experience in Cuba. Some of the elements of how Christianity has been embodied there are simply not even possible because of our economic situation in the U.S., right? Yeah, that's um, true. The and, same and is less true, likely to grow. Uh, yeah, the same is true. Uh, when Methodism started in America, uh, as I was doing some of my research, it was just so profound to me that it was happening on top of the Revolutionary War uh, and just before it, right? So there's economic strain, there's political distress, there is um, a crisis. And, and it, I think it made people receptive, right, to the the Wesleyan movement in a different sort of way. And and so, right, you know, the Cuban people were saying, you're not uncomfortable enough, essentially, right, mm-hmm. uh, to, to receive a sort of movement like this. Uh, and I think Larry alluded to this earlier. How do we change the American version of Christianity? Some of it is happening already without our effort. And that is the change of culture um, that's generationally happening is forcing this issue in a way that's making the established church really uncomfortable right now, right? So so you take folks who are proud of institution and proud of organization, and they've built up a church and uh, they've invested blood, sweat, and tears and money and bricks and mortar and now we have generations going, nope, I don't want the membership, right? Um, I, I'm not joining the Moose Lodge. And institutions are beginning to crumble uh, because generations following us are not adopting, right, these institutions in the same way. So some of it will happen to us, uh, I think, in changing American Christianity. And I welcome it. This is where I get shot. This is I, I welcome it. Um, I think we all do. And I think that's what listeners need to hear. We are well paid by the institution. Our, our careers depend on the institution and we welcome this, this change because it's, it's about what the Holy spirit's doing. Um, and we may have to get a little more creative in, in, in how we approach, uh, life. So I, 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 two things. I think there's a difference between contextualizing the faith for a place and nationalizing it. Um, yes. And, and, yes. And, you know, we we don't have to go down the the rabbit hole of Reaganomics and things like that. Where um, when when Reagan called America the shining city on a hill, uh, we 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 began to replace Israel with us. You know, mm. and so so yes, our the the Abrahamic faith finds its root in the nation of Israel. That doesn't mean that America has now suddenly become the new Israel. That's 
you know, and so that's that's right. one of the problems with 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 nationalism. Um, so I think how we start to change this for the better and to continue offering critique is is to go back to the beginnings of our movement and the early church, because Wesley talked a lot about the primitive church. So we need to look at what that really means and where have we overcomplicated this and where have we oversimplified it um, mm-hmm. yeah. in that. So my biblical focus in my dissertation was the end of Acts chapter 2 after Pentecost. It's what's called um, uh, the summary statement of of community. And, and, and this is where I think we've kind of overcomplicated um, all of the institutional things that we have, um, Acts 2, starting with 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the sharing of meals, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Right there, I think I see where we've overcomplicated on one hand, like what it means to be church, what church has to look like. There, there's four things at the beginning there of what what church was. It's a commitment to the, the teaching of the apostles, fellowship, breaking of bread, it's the Lord's Supper, uh, and prayer. And then the other piece is where we've oversimplified. And sharing is, in common. Y- yeah. Um, that that falls under the koinonia, um, under under fellowship, the, the sharing together. Um, the where we've over oversimplified it is they weren't just showing up at the temple one day a week. They were worshiping in the temple and they were yeah. having house they were having house churches. I mean, this was a regular rhythm of practicing discipleship in community, not a hyper individualistic approach to to faith. They were sharing together in community. Um, the Greek says they 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 broke bread in their homes. I read that in the New Living, and and they rightly point out that this was this was most likely they were gathering together for the Eucharist uh, in homes. Um, you know, so we we've made this solitary thing in a big convoluted institution that just doesn't look very much like the primitive church. Yeah, and re- and and that's happening on top of this very cultural thing at, at the same time too, right? That um. Judaism was normally right compared to a, a very sort of pagan culture at the time, and um, you know Roman authority. Um, but then this subset of Christianity that believed that Jesus rose from the dead and followed him as Lord and Savior is is a minority of that minority, right? Um, and so they are. Um, we have we're, we're currently experiencing the reverse of that, right? Sort of like. Christianity in America is is a mainline institution, right? Uh, and they're sort of underground, uh, you know. Uh, they're having to sort of be in homes and gather in quiet because it was unpopular. This position they were in was unpopular. And so they had to pursue it out of their personal passion and devotion, uh, a conviction of their belief. And they oriented their whole lives around it when the rest of the world was moving in a whole different direction. And so I think as some of this again will happen naturally as America becomes less Christian, 
which it's likely to do in the next couple of generations, then you choosing to be a Christian comes out of your personal conviction and devotion. It's something you have to do intentionally. Uh, You have to pursue it in private in a way that's maybe not as accepted in public as it is right now. And, um, And I think the mashing together of those two things, I just don't find it ironic that culture is shifting, uh, you know, kind of at a time where we recognize uh, this change is needed. And I think that Christianity will become much more personal and underground and less institutionalized and and more of a movement. Um, And that's what happened in Cuba, not to keep going back there, but after the revolution, the institution crumbled, right? They had existing churches and uh, seminaries and institutions and organizations, and all of that crumbled upon the revolution and they had to rebuild. And they did it from uh, a sort of personal, private, more nimble place. And so, um, you know, I think it'll be a, a collision of these two things. The world is forcing it upon us a little bit. And I think what we're experiencing right now is our death grip on trying to save it, you know, and and that's a bit of what we're experiencing in things like Christian nationalism. I think as it crumbles, then that natural movement, right, to be um, personal and gathering in homes and sharing in common will be a response to uh, sort of the crumbling of mainline Christianity in America. I, I, I think part of that crumble will lead us away from individualism because you cannot yes. go underground or, you know, as, as, as you phrased it by yourself. No. And, and, and we have so much of this emphasis on my faith is mine. Um, and you do your thing, I'll do mine. And, and there is an, in, there has to be an individual component to our faith. Absolutely. You know, go into your closet, close the door. Um, but this cannot be done outside of community, and and, mm-hmm. and community is what made Methodism a movement um, before, uh, in, in Wesley's original conception, before you could join the Methodist society, before you could gain admission, you had to be a part of a class meeting. And the, the class meeting is this small group gathering for watching on, over one another in love and going deeper in the Christian faith. You couldn't join the large group. You couldn't get your membership card until you were active yeah. in com- in community. And that was, I mean, you did your historical work, Sarah, on Francis Asbury. He said that the class meeting was the, the university for ministry. Um, John Wesley said the neglect of the class meeting would lead to the death of the movement. And in the yeah. early days of American Methodism, it was required to be a, a member of a Methodist church or a Methodist society. You had to be a part of a class meeting. And our movement kept growing and growing and growing. At one point, like one out of every three people in the United in the United States was was Methodist. Um, and then the early 1900s, I don't remember which year, the General Conference removed the requirement of being a part of a class meeting to be a member of the Methodist Church. By the next general conference, we had completely plateaued. The growth had stopped. Four years later, we had begun wow. decline, and we've been in decline ever since. We've we've created this wow. solid this solitary approach to religion that that has separated the movement from watching over uh, one another in in love. And so Wesley called it. He said, "If, if you de- if you neglect the class meeting, the whole thing falls apart." George Whitfield saw it, one of Wesley's um, contemporaries, mm-hmm. uh, on his deathbed. He said Wesley acted wisely because he joined his people together in class. And that's mm-hmm. preserved Wesley's legacy. I'm paraphrasing. I did not. And my people are a rope of sand. 
a mm-hmm. rope of sand. That's mm-hmm. that's the that's the the biggest flaw in the American church that I see is we're a rope of sand. And for the listener, that, um, a class meeting. What we mean is, it's really a small group, right? It was it was Wesley's version of a small group of people. So if you're not familiar with that terminology, essentially Wesley was saying you have to be a part of a small group, a member of a small group, and actively participate in order to be a member of the church. Uh, two two things come to mind um, processing this great dialogue. I, I love I love our little chats together. This is fun. Um, just that the individualism, um, that that change of the class meeting at general conference level, uh, you, you referenced early 1900s, and I'm wondering how that coincides with the Americanization and, and the change of America, the identity of America, the industrialization and the, re- the industrial revolution, uh, and how things became just kind of more corporate uh esque, um, yeah. you know, big big business. Uh, the, the, you know, even you know, I drive a Ford, you drive a Ford, you drive a Ford. Everybody has a Ford except for Sarah. Um, but, but just, you know, Ford's, uh, model, uh, line, the lineup of how to do, um, mass production, uh, that changed, um, a little bit. That's one thing. It absolutely coincides with the institutionalization of the church uh, because it also around that time is where you see the decline of the circuit riders, uh, Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. you have one clergy person serving i think the 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 circuit that tremont was a part of at one time had upwards of 30 points on the circuit so you have mm-hmm. one pastor stopping at 30 different places you require it that required then that the lay people band themselves together mm-hmm. and, and for the good of the movement and then they started saying along with industrialization institutionalism looking at other churches going well we want a pastor Mm-hmm. So we started locating our our pastors instead mm-hmm. of being circuit riders. You, here, here's your point, and you're going to professionalize the pastorate. So we became professionalized, and we lowered the bar of participation and membership, and we've been Boom. in decline as a movement ever since. Yeah, and when we see other movements like like Assemblies of God and and uh, independent Pentecostal churches, things like that that are growing like gangbusters. It's not the charismatic theology that's that's growing them. It's small groups, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and they stole mm-hmm. it from us. Uh, it was ours that. first. <laughs> There's another thread. There's another thread here that I think goes. I think goes with that. And as a side note, if I ever get to do my PhD, I already know what it's going to be. I know. I know. I'm. I'm not. I'm not. Just stop. <laughs> uh, it's um uh these places where culture uh. Uh, where do cultural movements right align with uh, movements of faith? Because there seems to be a lot of overlap, right? Like revolutionary war with Methodism, you know, industrialization with the decline of the church, whatever. Anywho, um, it would take a lifetime to research that. I think there's another. I think there's another thread, um, and it's it is the move from so, sort of the theme of evangelism and repentance and sin. Um, I, I don't know how to name the next part. You know, as we, as we begin to institutionalize the church, um, we begin to drop the tendency towards evangelism, the call towards repentance, the naming of sin. And, and we sort of moved more towards, you know, acceptance into the life of the church and, um, uh, you know, membership uh, in that way. But I don't, I don't, 
neglect the thought that these circuit writers were really going from community to community, calling people to Jesus. You are a sinner in need of grace, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, find your salvation in Jesus. And then get plugged into a small group where you can learn more about um, how to turn from sin and live a life in Christ. Um, and we have really over time removed that from from the theme of Christianity. From uh, if if there's not a sense that I'm like I am a I am a sinner. <laughs> uh, how does Paul say it? Like above all sinners, uh, you know, and sinners. I chief of sinners and, uh, you know, and I'm desperate for a savior and I've received a gift of that salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus paid it all for me. Um, and we have shifted the message over this sort of professionalism, um, and consumerism of the church to leaving that part of the message out. And we've talked more about, uh, you know, community and finding your place in the church and, you know, um, at that it's not lost on me that we've lost the desperation for a savior because we've lost the message of our sinful nature. Yeah. Well, the, the theological shift behind that is the uh, shift from, I am a child of wrath who is in stands in need of grace and adoption into the family of God uh, to, I am already a child of God and I just need to realize that. Right. Yes. And, yes. and the church, yes. the church can just help me realize that I'm already a child of God. Uh, I am worthy of love, right? I am worthy of, well, no, the message of the gospel is I'm unworthy of, yeah. of grace, but, but that's why grace is grace is because it is unmerited favor. I've done nothing mm-hmm. to deserve mm-hmm. this. Right. So that the yeah. big shift was like, Oh no, you're worthy of love. You're worthy of grace. You're already a child of God. You just need to realize that. And the church can do that. Oh, and by the way, we're a great community too. Well, there's, there's really, where's the salvation in that, you know, and where's the change in that? Yeah. I I just need to receive. I I just need, yeah, I already am. I just need to make it official. Right. Mm -hmm, Uh, And, and we've missed this call sort of to repentance and the realization of our, uh, our, our wrathfulness. That's not a word. Uh, and by the way, if you happen to, or you don't, you should listen to, uh, the wake up call, which is a podcast and daily devotional writing through, um, uh, the seedbed publications. And, uh, JD wrote a beautiful devotion on this on May 2nd. It's called Jesus paid it all. If you want to check out that podcast, uh, where he talks about this, that everything else crumbles, right? Uh, the rest of the structure of our Christian faith and movement crumbles if we don't have this as the foundation, right? Um, our desperation for Jesus. You can still get to the, you know, center in in need of God and start with someone's worthy child of God, person of worth. You can still yeah. start there well, because sure. there are there are people who've been beat up enough by life who don't need convinced that they suck, uh, you yeah, know. Sure. Like, sure, you know. Um, but but where where I think in in mainline liberalism has fallen fallen short, and now I'm really going to get hate mail for that one. Um, where 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 mainline progressivism has fallen short is you're a child of God and a person of worth. Nothing needs to change about you. That's yeah. not the gospel. I'm a child of God and person of worth, incredibly loved by my father, and he loves me enough that he doesn't want me to stay there. Yes. So yeah. I, and don't I, don't miss don't mishear my comment about unworthiness. I wasn't saying that no, no, we're no. not worthy of love. The point is we've done nothing to be worthy of love, and yet right. we are still loved. Right. Yes. So the mainline progressivism, we stop it there. 
And then, yeah. but in, in, in fundamentalism though, um, and, uh, in, in, in more conservative evangelicalism, it's all about the call to repentance and there's nothing about living a life of holiness, which is the unique contribution of the Wesleyan movement is this pursuit of Christian perfection. And I, I was floored in a previous appointment when I heard someone tell me after a sermon that they'd been a Methodist their whole life and had never heard a sermon on total sanctification. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, it's what weird. Are we, what are we was... doing here? If, if, if it's just a call to repent, and, and, and I love Billy Graham, but that's part of the Billy Graham effect on American Christianity. Say the prayer, say the sinner's yeah. prayer, come forward to just as I am, and you're good. Yep. Yeah. No, that, that's the entrance point into community, mm-hmm. mm. it, it, into the community that, that changes us, that nurtures us. Um, and that's where Wesley gets misquoted when he says that there's there's no holiness apart from social holiness. He's not talking about social justice. He's talking about community banding together and seeking after the holiness of God that transforms our lives into the image of Jesus. Yes. I'm starting yeah. to preach. Amen. No, I, it's good stuff. I mean, that's it. Methodism had this beautiful mashup, right, of like it is – uh, I am a re- I am a sinner in need of salvation, right? Uh, uh, and yet God loves me and adopts me into His family. And in response to that, I want to be transformed into His likeness, right? And pursue holiness in my life. And we have lost the theme of that by truncating it simply with Jesus loves me, right? And mm-hmm. then stepping into the into the church as sort of my place of belonging. Um, and we have left the other pieces out, uh, the right. desperation that makes me want to pursue holiness. Yes. Larry, I think you found this quote from John Wesley that just fits into this conversation very nicely right here. John Wesley saying, by salvation, I mean not barely according to the vulgar notion, deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but a present deliverance from sin a restoration of the soul to its primitive health, its original purity, a recovery of the divine nature, the renewal of our souls after the image of God in righteousness and true holiness in justice, mercy, and truth. Exactly and where I was getting ready to go. Yeah. Oh, oh, shoot. Sorry. I didn't no, mean to No, no, no. It, no, it's great. Uh, I'd rather hear you read it than, than me. It's, uh, we, we have this very anemic kind of bastardized version of what it means to be saved. Yes. It's it's not just the I'm going to say yes to Jesus. It's not just uh, pursuing um, uh, holiness. It's it's both together that helps us reclaim the image of God with which we are created. We spend our lives in sin, living beneath our privilege as children of God. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 how do we change American Christianity? We need to we need to reclaim a full picture of salvation. That I am yeah. I, I am saved by Jesus. I, I've been rescued from the dominion of sin and death, but I have been saved to a new way of life in community mm. with with mm. the people that I do life with to pursue holiness and the things of God together. Mm. Now hey, let's I, talk I, about the main challenge that I think stands in the way of us living into this kind of Christianity today. And that is that I believe we have progressed from individualism to isolation. Yeah. And without there, a doubt. Without and a doubt. There are people who, you know, our hyper individualism, the fruit of that now that we are seeing is isolation. And there are people who have gone underground, not in community, but alone. 
Yeah. And so that, the, the, the big challenge for the church and the question for the church is, how do you reach these folks who, are, who have literally cut themselves off from society, uh, from the world? Who, you, know, you think about the family and social relationships that have been damaged over the past mm-hmm. few years. What is the church's response to that? I think that's, that's our main challenge that we're facing because this idea of community sounds wonderful. But it's going to take overcoming the isolation that's so prevalent in our culture right now. It, wow. I think the, I think there's good news in it, though. Uh, I saw a TikTok. Okay, don't yell about that. Oh, here we um, go. Don't go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> it was a college professor talking about um, he's realizing that his class structure isn't working anymore. Um, and that 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 students are just sort of giving up, not participating. Um, and they had moved a lot to online structure, online homework submission, really loose structure, not a lot of check-ins because we thought that's what the world wanted right now, you know? And he goes, I think, I think I'm going to have to go back to the way we used to do school, (laughs) which is you have to physically show up to class we do homework on paper in class, uh, more structure, more check-ins. And the the college students responding to it said, yes, please. We're essentially stuck. We're like, we are frozen, uh, paralyzed, right? Because there's been so much isolation. Uh, there's not been, you know, community support. Um, and we don't know how to move through this. And it was taking somebody else to say, uh, let me create some structure for you and show you the way. I think the mm-hmm. good news is that there's a hunger, right? Mm-hmm. That the church can offer what the world can't satisfy. Uh, I mean, the thought of like communion in someone's home with other people who are hungry for Jesus, the world can't do that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And and we have something the world can't satisfy. And I, I think that though we're talking a lot about the world is talking about a lot about, you know, isolation and distance. I don't think these generations want it. I think they're paralyzed in it and they don't know how to get out of it. And and we're going to have to offer some some structure and intention and hope to say, uh, try this, right? Um, and and I think they're responding to it, and we're seeing things like that in the Asbury movement and uh, outpouring and uh, other movements that are happening around the country. I think they want it. I think it starts with meeting them where they're at and then inviting into community. That's why I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so intrigued by things like, uh, like VR church, uh, mm-hmm. that, that some of our friends are doing, like they're, they're meeting in these online, uh, spaces. I have theological questions about, uh, how that all ends with, with sacraments and things like that, but it, it's at least a starting point, um, to, to do that. Cause I think we've confused, um, Henry Nouwen's one of my favorites and he talks about the necessity of solitude. Uh, we've mm-hmm. confused isolation with solitude. Solitude's a yes, holy thing. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the first not good in scripture is it's not good that the man should be alone. Yeah. Um, we, we've confused the t- we've confused the um, the holiness of solitude with God with with isolation, and we're going to have to get really creative to start beckoning people out of that. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the isolation tells- is fueled by technology, I think. And so, uh, even though I am not a proponent of VR church, I, I actually have a allergic reaction to the idea <laughs> of VR church. Um, <laughs> I can see it as a potential evangelistic tool to yeah, try a starting to draw point. people. Yeah, a starting point to try to draw people out of that. Because I guess how else do you reach someone who has isolated themselves in technology, but through technology, 
Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that question yet. That's that's kind of what I'm personally wrestling through because, you know, it. so one of the things that we have done and are doing at Morton, we have been lifting up bands. Uh, we call method groups and uh, we you call have it been encouraged method groups uh, oh. because we uh, what we've done is slightly modified Seedbed's version of their band model to incorporate John Wesley's general rules for his societies and really placed a heavy emphasis on developing a rule of life um, and that accountability piece uh, following the method of Methodism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is how we got our name in the first place, because there there was a method and there there were um, standards, right, for the people called Methodists that they were held to and that they held one another to. So we've been trying that a little bit at Morton and we're seeing the fruit of that. Um, but the step that we have not taken yet and that I, I am praying God will lead us in taking in the near future is to see that go beyond the walls of the, the current members of this church and start transforming the community. Cause that's mm-hmm. what you saw in the early Methodist movement, right? It wasn't, it start, you know, started with that small group of committed followers of Jesus, but then it started to grow out in, into the communities and transform English society and, and by extension, American society. So that's yeah, what I, we're praying for. And to piggyback on that, I think, you know, how do we change it? Um, I don't know about you all, but I think for the last couple of decades, there's been this sort of quiet sensitivity to culture and and the church has to be gentle and we can't scare people and uh, we need to move slowly <laughs> um, because we're maybe not very popular with the world at the moment or coming generations. And I think that there is enough of a hunger underground, even if people aren't knowing what to name it. That there's just this, um, uh, I think we're moving into a space where uh, pastors and church leaders can can proudly, joyfully invite and connect and say, we have a better way, right? We we have hope and, um, uh, and not be scared about it, but be a little more bold and uh, not in the scary, you know, evangelical sort of way, but in the... Uh, yeah, we have something the world can't satisfy and um and and would love to walk with you. And we have been pretty quiet about that over the last couple of decades because of what we've perceived of culture. And I think one of the how do we change it is that it's time for us to emerge a little bit to tell the world we have uh, a, a way in which they can thrive that that God intended for them to thrive uh in in a way of holiness um in Christ Jesus. So um it's calling me to say it's really it really is time to like lead and to lead proudly and and joyfully and hopefully because the world is is in such need of what what we can offer. Amen. Well, <laughs> uh, Larry, you mentioned your church camp. I'll I'll close with this. So um over the altar at the church camp that formed my life from like five to 12 or to 12th grade, uh, there is a sign that hangs over the altar. It's been there for more than a hundred years. It says, God calleth sinners to repentance and believers unto entire sanctification. Boom. (laughs) On that note. There's so much, so much more that we could talk about uh, to this question. And uh, And maybe the author. 
And maybe the author of the question will uh, clarify uh, if we got it right or not, and <laughs> if and where they wanted us to address it or how they intended it to be received. Um, but uh, yeah, that's been a wonderful conversation. And to wrap up our uh, podcast uh, today, uh, thought about asking the questions: uh, interesting, fun, weird uh, Midwest festivals. Uh, and if you know the location or at least the state, uh, maybe we'll give you the option to choose the state. Maybe choose the town, uh, what it might be called. I'm going to start out with this one. You can go somewhere uh, and find a free bagel breakfast. And uh, there's been an infatuation with this by the locals. Uh, in this small town, it's a four-day celebration to the wondrous breakfast food of bagels. Anybody I know, have I know, a I guess know. of where? Go ahead, Sarah. I think I know. Is that Mattoon, Illinois? Bagel Fest. Uh, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Bagel Mattoon, Fest. Illinois. Lenders yes. Lenders are made in Mattoon, Illinois. I've lived in Illinois my entire life, and now I'm within a month of moving to Florida, and I didn't know there was a bagel <laughs> festival. God hates me. <laughs> this is the little known. You could have had bagels. <laughs> Larry, it's been going on for 30 years. It was accidentally started as Lenders Bagel. They offered a free bagel breakfast, and then, boom, they created an annual festival. Uh, I usually celebrate it in July. Uh, live entertainment, all of the things, a big old parade, uh, baby bagel baby contest, Miss Bagel Face, Miss Bagel Fest contest? Oh, I thought Miss Bagel Face. My face would the Bagel Face. Okay, all right. So, you know, that's, that's, that sounds like a fun one. Uh, here's one. Uh, where would you be if you were uh, celebrating the state cow chip throw and festival? Where might you be? Not there. Like, like a cow patty, I assume is what we like mean by cow, cow chip. chip. Yeah, like and a that, cow patty, yeah. That sounds very uh, Missouri. Uh, I, will close. Be, I, will be, I will be anywhere else. Uh, try Wisconsin. Uh, maybe I say this wrong, but Prairie du Sac. Uh, Prairie du Shane. Du Shane du Sac. S A C. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to say uh, Prairie du Shane. Prairie du Shane is that's Iowa, I believe. Uh, okay. Uh, They're from but, New York, or, Wisconsin, too. Yeah, sure. It's Prairie du Sac, where they uh, where they celebrate the state cow chip throw and festival. Uh, Cowabunga. <laughs> Wow, uh, 13, that's the name. That's the name of the Holstein-looking, thirteen-foot-tall uh, Trojan cow on wheels uh, that they pull down the street along with other floats. <laughs> All right, how about this one? Name the state or place where they celebrate the duct tape festival. I really want to go there. I really want to go. Oh, that duct sounds tape. amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, Minnesota. I was gonna say it sounds like a very like Michigan. Uh, uh, Michigander problem solving uh, it's, created duct tape. It's Follow be problem mid- solving. It, it's Midwest. It's somewhere all Midwest. Midwest. Yeah, wherever Midwest. red green. Oh, they're is all from. in the mid. Yeah, but think problem solving. I don't know. Yeah, uh, Michigan. I'm going Michigan. Michigander. Ohio. Ooh, that's good. Adam, you haven't went away yet. <laughs> my yeah yeah my my guess is Minnesota. Wherever red green is from, if Larry if women don't again, find I handsome, you they'll back, at least Larry. find you handy. Avon, Ohio. Oh. The duct tape fashion show, duct tape parades, really spotlights gigantic floats, detailed themes, uh, wearable clothing, everything entirely made of duct tape. When I was in high school, no, no, seminary, I made you a duct tape wallet, didn't I? I used to do that. You, you did. I probably I still had a duct tape wallet for a little bit. I, 
That was awesome. I had a duct tape wallet. Dude. <laughs> it was very uh, much well, a thing in the in the 2000s. Yeah. Avon, Avon Ohio. <laughs> Avon, Ohio celebrates being the home of duct tape. D-U-C-K. Duct tape. Now, this is going to be a fun one. You're going to love this one, especially coming from me. Grumpy Old Men Festival. Ooh. East Moline, Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only 46, y'all. I'm not there yet. (laughs) Where is the Grumpy Old Men Festival, and why do you think it started? Uh, Well, where was that movie filmed? I don't know. That's a movie. Uh, It was like, yeah. They were like in Wisconsin or something, fishing, weren't they? It was definitely northern. There was a lot of 1993. Okay, so it's Wabasha, Minnesota. There you go. There you go. Did you look that oh, up? Because or did you of the have filming that? of the movie. I, exactly. I had to look up the state. I knew it was Wabasha. I had to look up the state. <laughs> okay, good. Nineteen ninety three. The, they were the ice movie fishing. came out. That's right. And so the the festival incorporates events like cribbage tournament, uh, minnow races, Texas Hold'em poker tournament, bingo, ice bar, ice fishing, all of the things from the film's main characters, Max and John. Nice. All right. Moving uh moving on. Huts. There's there is one called um, the Baloney Festival. Uh, it's just a bunch of baloney. Uh, do, do you know where? Perhaps why they I have this festival? I feel like that festival? shouldn't be the Midwest, but it should be the South. But I but I know that all of these are in the Midwest. So I think think of I, the maker of baloney. Um, also a wait wait wait. There's an a, Oscar Mayer factory in Iowa. Not there. Same. It's more than twenty thousand people attending this small town baloney festival. Uh, the king and queen of baloney. You could become one. What a title. It's in Yale. Ow. Yale, Michigan. And C. Roy Inc. Locally family owned company that's been continuously making delicious baloney for more than a century now. How can you not know this? I can't say I'm not from the Midwest. It's oh no! I've eaten never baloney. eaten baloney. Just baloney. Just All right, yeah. All right. We're gonna oh, wrap oh, it up with oh, this sorry. one. Here, we're gonna wrap it up with this one. And if you know, you know. Don't answer. But if you don't know, take a guess, and then we'll let the people who know know answer. But how about the Broom Corn Festival? Where might that be? No idea. Not a clue. Sarah? No. Nope. Okay. Fully disappointed. This is uh, our cola. Illinois, y'all. It's oh. not far from here. It's not far at all. It's the in- largest Amish settlement uh, in Illinois. And the Arcola Broom Corn Festival celebrates the town's generous production of broom corn. I, I am very disappointed no, that, that one's you've not, not quite me- as thrilling as the bagel fest. <laughs> I'm just disappointed you didn't mention the Tremont Turkey Festival. Summer starts with us. Yes. I knew you would. I didn't have to. Summer starts, summer, summer starts, starts with, with us. Summer. Okay. Hey, you know how Illinois has the best, weirdest mascots? We covered that last time, but like, uh, we have a Wizard of Oz fest in Illinois. Did you know that? No. Maple uh, and a, a Burgoo. Well, let me. Burgoo festival. Let me highlight you know our cola is? for a moment. Burgoo. That's a really good stew. Okay. So in 2003, uh, these uh, lawn rangers. So for the Arcola parade, they have a lawn ranger drill team, a lawnmower drill team. And they were in uh, the St. Patty's Day parade in Chicago. Uh, President Obama was there at the time, apparently. And then again in 2009, the inaugural parade in Washington, D.C., the lawn rangers from Arcola, Illinois. 
That's a big deal, y'all. I did say that was going to be the last one, but I have to highlight this one. Uh, It's a family thing. Uh, I found it today for the first time in research, but there's something that happens musically. So, Adam, this is going to be for you. Do you know where the Washboard Music Festival is held? Sounds like a Wisconsin thing. (laughs) Adam, Larry? I mean, Larry, Sarah? No, I was going to go like Arkansas, but that's, is that really the Midwest? Probably I think that not. might be a little so, outside the Midwest. The Columbus yeah. Washboard Company is the only U.S. corporation that still manufactures washboards located in Logan, Ohio? Logan, Ohio. Logan, Ohio. Logan, Ohio. Look at Ohio. Uh, that one's through. personal for Gabe. I got a family time in there and I uh, just wanted to shout out to Logan. The Washboard Music Festival encourages people to use the washboard as a musical instrument and they showcase live performances with talented musicians. Three day festival in June usually and uh, features vendors, tractors, cars, quilt shows, rides, and all the things. Uh, lots of things happen. I really happen can't in, in believe you didn't. <laughs> I really can't believe that the Wonder Water Festival didn't make the list. I knew it would. I knew you would bring it up. Yeah. So Wonder Water. So the bo- <laughs> the bottom line is there's going to be a lot of great festivals this summer in the Midwest, and you should not go to the Cow Chip Festival. Uh, but maybe check out the <laughs> maybe check out the Turkey Festival. It's all about community. Bagel this is fest. the answer to the problem. It's Bridget. community. We need to work go. out of our isolationism. Work out of our. Uh, ind- individualism and be a part of some sort of crazy Midwest fest. Let's go. If it if it has to there be cow chip, if it's cow chips, I'm going to go into a cellar somewhere. I, I've spent enough time around <laughs> cow crap in my life without having a festival all about it. So, hey, that's all the time that uh, we have for today, thankfully. Uh, Thank next month, Next month, we're going to continue with your questions. If you have uh, one you'd like to submit, something you'd like to hear us talk about, go ahead and fill out that Google form. Uh, And until then, thanks for joining us on uh, Midnight Theology, and we'll see you next time.